0: To the Pipeline, all things CD and DevOps podcast by the CD Foundation. I am your host, Jacqueline Salinas, Director of Ecosystem and Community Development. I am so excited about episode 32 of season two. My guest today is Trevor Rosen. Trevor is a principal architect in the SaaS group at SolarWinds. He loves talking about Containers, Kubernetes, and InfoSec. Trevor lives in Austin with his family and has too many electric guitars. But today's main topic is how SolarWinds is using open source to secure their supply chain. As you're no doubt aware, SolarWinds was hit in December 2020 with a sophisticated supply chain attack perpetrated by nation-state actors. In the months since, they've been working to create an entirely new build system based on a number of CNCF and CDF projects. In today's episode, you are going to learn what they are building, why it's necessary, and what it's like to be on the inside when the unthinkable happens. But before we dive into how SolarWinds is using open source to secure their supply chain, we're going to kick off our episode with the segment, My DevOps Journey. Thank you so much, Trevor. Um, it is amazing to have you here. I saw you speak at Supply Chain Security Con um, last week at KubeCon in LA, which was amazing. Every episode, we kick off with a segment called My DevOps Journey, um, which I know you have um, some thoughts on that, but I will let you kick off, um, yeah, what? how did you kind of end up? up uh, here.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, Well, first of all, Jacqueline, thank you so much for having me on. Um, It's a great honor to be on a podcast by the Linux Foundation. Um, Yeah, I would say that I have done stuff in startups and things like that on and off um, for years. So I've always kind of gravitated at least a little bit towards ops by necessity. Um, I've never had like a DevOps title or been like a um, sort of a hands-on, like all the time pager-wearing DevOps person. Um, But I think if you work in SaaS long enough and you go sort of like high enough up um, in the tech leadership chain, you'll end up doing some ops. So um, I um, have really taken an interest, I think, as a lot of people who are um, interested in in the Go language, Go programming language. I've taken an interest over a lot of the things that are built in that language over years. So that would be things like Docker and Kubernetes and um, kind of a huge portion of the CNCF ecosystem. Um, so even though my, my heart's in code and writing code and applications, um, I really like seeing things run smoothly via automation. So over time, I have gra- gravitated toward that kind of SRE problem space um, over the last few years. So um, in early 2020, uh, in the before times, um, the official area that I was given to own at SolarWinds was kind of the uh, technical leadership around DevOps and CICB. But they chose me sort of specifically because, like, I have this application bent, and so um, you know, kind of coming at it from a um, write new software to solve problems kind of perspective rather than uh, maybe a more classic operations perspective. So, um, yeah, I pay attention to how our operations work internally um, as well as how our products work for DevOps users. Um, SolarWinds is a a company that makes a lot of different uh, monitoring products, including some products in the APM and event logging space and things like that. So. Um, it's cool. I get to kind of be on on both sides of it, I guess you'd say.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing your story. So we're all dying to know what happened with some the sunburst breach. Can you walk us through what took place and how solar winds responded to the incident?
1: Yeah. So um we found out, I believe around December 12th or 13th of last year, I found out on the 13th, but I think I found out about 12 hours after our leadership knew um, that our uh, build systems had been compromised um, and that um, update releases of SolarWinds flagship product, the Orion platform, um, were going out to end customers over, over a compromised channel. Right. So um, Sunburst is the name of the um, malware, the name given by uh, FireEye Mandiant who found um, who found this problem kind of almost by accident within their own systems. Sunburst is the name of the malware that basically got injected into our build system and then like went out with our updates, like unbeknownst to us. Um, so it was what you might call like a first party uh, supply chain attack, right? It wasn't a third party. It wasn't like the kind of problem like CodeCov had earlier this year where Um, something that a bunch of engineers use as part of their product um, got compromised. It was directly part of our own infrastructure. Um, so it was, um, you know, because of SolarWinds Orion scope, it was, um, it was a pretty big breach. I think the president of Microsoft, Brad Smith called it like the worst cyber attack ever or something like that. Um, it spawned, uh, congressional hearings around, um, supply chain security and our, um, Our our current CEO and former CEO um, both had to go testify before Congress. Um, And basically, you know, Orion is all over the Fortune 500. I think like 80 or 90 percent of the Fortune 500 uses Orion to manage their networks. Um, Tier one network providers use it. Um, It's all over the federal government. And so this was a really big deal. Right. And um, this is almost kind of like the Pearl Harbor moment for supply chain security um in that it was very obviously done by a very advanced um APT style attacker advanced persistent threat is sort of a term of art in the infosec world um and at least according to the United States intelligence apparatus um they have placed the blame squarely on the Russian foreign intelligence service as the the people who who did this of course the the Russian foreign intelligence service Russian government denies it um but yeah, that was uh, that was what happened, and then um, the immediate aftermath of that was just a whole lot of um, just kind of going through everything that we had online, like rotating every secret in our SaAS business, even though SaAS wasn't directly affected. we just you have to rotate every secret you can find, you have to um, change access patterns, um, you know an enormous amount of internal i t. stuff, obviously, like you do during any breach, um, and then just a tremendous amount of work into um, scanning all of our build artifacts and our code and kind of finding out like. Um, how far the damage went and how far back it was. Um, So yeah, our our build system just, um, you know, we couldn't trust it
0: after this. Oh my God. I mean, yeah. So let's talk about that. How do you, how do you, how did you build trust with your build system again? Right. You, it was attacked. You can't trust it anymore. Everything just got turned upside down. Um, how did you have to rethink about how you build things? And so what, what sort of rules or perceptions did you develop to guide your thinking?
1: You know, we, we had to start kind of thinking from first principles and asking ourselves, um, you know, what would have helped right with this, this kind of attack. So, um, you know, we started to think, okay, well, we need ephemeral infrastructure, right. At the time, um, SolarWinds build system uh, is based on like long live VMware based build agents. Um, and so, you know, if somebody compromised one of those um, that thing is there for, for a long time. It's sort of meant to just be semi-permanent. Um, so moving towards a, an ephemeral system, um, you know based on containers where things can kind of like, you know come up and leave when they're done and, and just sort of be alive if you will for the duration of, of a build step. Um, that that's a, that's a big one, um, you know changing and severely tightening access patterns, um, to the system and bringing, making it more observable. That was another thing, um, moving as much as we can to a deterministic build product, meaning, um, working with technologies. And in some cases actually having to work with vendors to, to change their technologies, um, so that you can get a, um, the same artifact from the same inputs, right? Like it's kind of counter counterintuitive, but most software systems actually don't, produce like a bit for bit identical artifact um, for the same exact set of inputs. And that's because there's things um, like, uh, you know, timestamps or auto-generated file names or like, things like that, that kind of go into systems. And we've always taken it for granted, but like, if you can't reproduce something directly yourself, then, um, you know, you at least have the kind of faint possibility that something bad might've happened in your pipeline. So we wanted to start being able to think in terms of what's referred to as a consensus build, meaning we within SolarWinds would have more than one um, build pipeline and we would kind of work to guarantee that the products of those pipelines would agree um, whenever the technology supports it. Now, I, I keep saying whenever the technology supports it and that's because um, you know, Orion is probably, uh, a lot of people listening may know is, is written in .NET um, and Microsoft is working now to ensure that um, you can produce um, fully deterministic reproducible builds with.NET. .NET. Um, it's, it's not available yet, but you know it's out there for things like uh, the Maven, Maven project for Java will do this. Um, you can get deterministic container images, et cetera. So um, determinism was another big one for us. Consensus. And I would say the, the big three are really um, consensus, determinism, ephemerality. And then you'd add a fourth one of, of kind of um, recording every single step that ever takes place in any build, right? So having always some kind of receipt for everything that takes place in your system automatically. Um, so yeah, sorry, four things, those four things, um, I think were the, the big sort of ones that we came up with. And then we kind of had a fifth overarching one that helps guide our thinking and helps us make uh, decisions when we're trying to sort of break a tie or figure out how to reason about something. And that's what we call the golden rule of this new build system. And it says, um, that a developer shall have fine grain control over what she builds with the system, but have zero control. Over how that thing is validated and secured. So very early on, we decided to do this big um, separation of concerns, and that guided a lot of, of the subsequent work on the
0: system. Okay, got it. So what what sort of tools are you using from the open source community um, in order to be able to tackle the golden rule plus you know the the big four that you just mentioned? Sure.
1: Yeah. So. Um, Well, we started off trying, like, hoping because we were under such a tight timeline and because we were under all this scrutiny, right? Like, our CEO literally promised this to Congress on live television. So, um, you know, we had to um, think very practically. So we wanted to grab something off the shelf. We wanted to buy and not build if we could. But we realized that that was going to be um, extraordinarily difficult or potentially impossible. Um, And so we we were aware of the Tecton project, um, which is part of, uh, the CD foundation. And, um, you know, we, we had some interest in it before, just kind of in general, I did as part of my, my DevOps, um, research, you know, that I just sort of do for technical leadership at SolarWinds. But, um, the more we looked at it, the more we thought this, this is the thing, because, um, you know, it's based on Kubernetes and Kubernetes is really good at letting you do things um, like in a standard way, but then kind of decorate or enhance that standard way. Right. So um, architectures where you want to mutate something that's given to you and sort of enforce things or or turn it into something else. There's a lot of those kinds of architectures in the the Kubernetes world. So this would let us have that golden rule. It would let our devs write whatever they want to write and then let us do whatever we needed to do, you know, to that thing, to that pipeline definition subsequently. So, um, when we once we chose Tecton, a whole lot of things um, started to kind of um, fall into place. And I would say that like the advantages of Tecton are um, it uses a lot of great you know open source uh, concepts. It uses Kubernetes. It's um, something that's very it's a very easy project to kind of like uh, get into the to the ecosystem with and sort of um, you know get a lot of good help from from all the great people in the ecosystem and sort of positively affect the project. Um, I would say that kind of the major challenge of it is it's still pretty early. And so there are a lot of things that we had to build, especially to get it um, working as kind of like a, a back end for GitHub repos and do it in a way that we felt um, was, was secure enough for us to feel comfortable with.
0: But yeah, that, that's amazing. That's I mean, I'm always excited when the private sector starts to adopt open source projects. But it's amazing that um, you guys decided to, to leverage Tecton, which, yes, it's a it's a CDF incubating project and. It is young, but it is powerful, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. You mentioned some of the advantages, but what kinds of things were you able to use right away? And what did? Can we talk a little bit about like what you had to build?
1: Yeah, I would say um, we were able to use Pipeline Controller right away. Um, we were, you know, we had to build a we've had to build a few things. We were able to use a dashboard fairly well right away as well. Um, we had to build a, a GitHub app, like Tekton events, just like. It wasn't going to work for the level of security we wanted. And that was because um, unless you're using a GitHub app, like GitHub's um, permissions model for a lot of things is or, or sort of like if you just want to integrate arbitrarily, you use this thing called a personal access token, um, which is very powerful. And, and we weren't really comfortable using because um, it would mean like setting up bot users to and, and issuing their tokens from their accounts and just sort of a bunch of complicated things like that. Um, but GitHub apps and GitHub Actions have access to these really great tokens um, that are, are still fairly powerful, but just to the scope to the to the repo that you're dealing with. And um, they die after an hour. So like if, if one of them leaks, it's not a problem, whereas um, personal access tokens have to be, uh, you know, have to be deleted. They just kind of live forever. So um, a lot of the integration patterns we were seeing from the tech community with GitHub was kind of based on those personal access tokens. Um so we went ahead and wrote an, an app. Um we also wanted the ability to like I said kind of intercept the things coming from like the webhooks coming from a from from GitHub or the events I should say coming from a GitHub um repo and then sort of do a collection of arbitrary things after that. And an, and a GitHub app is sort of a good place to to do some of that stuff because the webhook data that you get on an event um is obviously very useful for for those kinds of things. Then after that, I mean some it goes pretty deep on the state of tecton right now but I I I'm happy to do that. Um There's OCI bundle support for Tecton tasks, but um, we discovered that uh, you could not mutate an OCI bundled task, that um, it would, the controller kind of pulls those OCI bundles after the uh, Tecton pipelines um, controller mutating webhook fires, uh, or after our mutating webhook fired rather, that we were trying to integrate with, and so we ended up um, needing to like explode out the OCI bundles inside our GitHub app and then kind of create a full pipeline definition from those um, hydrated task definitions. Yeah. Do some validation and enhancement and then sort of push that at the uh, at the Tekton pipelines controller. And if we were just doing containers, then we might be pretty much done by then. Um, but we uh, at SolarWinds have about 50-something products. And um, the ultimate goal is to get all of them running on this new system. So um, actually, the main things, the things that we have shipped to customers so far out of our system, and we just uh, shipped another one on, on Monday, um, are all on-prem products, actually. They're, they're Java-based products that we're able to, um, to, to get those fully reproducible deterministic builds for. And um, yeah, there's kind of a collection of... of um, we call them pipeline mechanics that you might want to do or not do, depending on sort of the, the type of thing that you're building um, with, with a pipeline. And so for on-prem stuff where you're producing like a whole bunch of artifacts and you've got like interstitial um, things like subcomponents that have to be reassembled for different architectures and all sorts of things like that, like get a little complicated. So we, we put a lot of logic into a mutating webhook um, that fires when whenever you send anything to the Tecton Pipelines controller. And that webhook is able to look at the annotations that are placed on a task run in a pipeline and kind of uh, make decisions about what to do based on that. Um, then, thankfully, right as we're getting started, um, Dan Lawrence had started the Chains controller, um, and which is a, a Chains is another component of, um, of the Tecton project, but it's this very kind of early pre-alpha kind of thing. Um, but Chains is designed to do that thing I mentioned earlier, kind of like producing... Um, a receipt, if you will, for like everything that happens in Tecton, um, and so this was fantastic um, that this happened right at this point in time, and so we contributed a lot of development to chains to sort of um, do do those those receipts, those kind of um, attestations, as they're called formally, um, in a way that comports with the Entoto project. And Entoto is another like CNCF project um, that's all about supply chain security. So. From the very beginning, Solouns has wanted to um, really support and integrate with and be a part of um, all of the open source efforts in this area. So we were really happy to be able to plug into the chains effort and plug into the Intoto effort. And really, most of the things that we have written um, are all, like I said, kind of like glue code to help the mechanics that we need given the constraints of our system and the um, desire to use GitHub as as a uh, as an SCM. So yeah, I would say like. The key componentry of this, of this thing really, um, in terms of like the actual supply chain pieces, um, are probably already out there, right. In the form of the stuff from the Entoto project and from chains. Um, and, and we've already contributed that stuff upstream. We do have plans to open source the GitHub app itself and, and kind of all the other pieces that, that, uh that I talked about in my talk and that, that I just kind of glossed over here.
0: Awesome. Yeah. We love open source. <laughs> hmm. um, so yeah, you're getting a lot of support from solar winds because obviously, you know, you, you, your company experienced a sunburst incident. Um, but for other companies that may not have that type of support or even awareness around supply chain vulnerabilities um, or, you know, they are under resourced. What can they do right now, to just have better supply chain security?
1: Um, yeah, I would say that there are a few of those, those things that I talked about before that are possible. Like um, you know, you, you could consider especially if you're doing things um, in like the SaaS world and you're doing containerized stuff, like if you're working on Kubernetes um, you could build container images um, potentially with a, with a thing like um, the Kaniko project from Google that will let you make deterministic images, right? So you could you could make deterministic container images right now um, and you could know that and build a culture around being able to reproduce an image um, from a given point in your code base. And if that image ever changed, then you will look at the image definition in, in like your Docker file or whatever and see like, oh, maybe we were installing some dependency, but we weren't like pinning it to a proper version or something like that. And so like once you adopt con- like, determinism for containers i think it becomes easier to sort of go back into the earlier steps and sort of make sure that like the containers you're building and building with don't have any sources of non-determinism as we would call them like um just saying hey apt get installed you know lib foobar or whatever it is and and you're not actually saying i want this particular version um that's a step making sure that that you're always referring to uh, container images by actual full SHA digests and not by um you know tags which are mutable and, and and can change um there's i think a lot of low-hanging fruit in like going through and rationalizing your access patterns like who's got access to your build systems um do the right people have access do some people have too much access there's a lot of that kind of stuff that you can do um and then looking around and using um what are called software of materials or SBOM files in your build process, right? So what that means is like, you can think of um, a software build materials as almost like an ingredients list for a software artifact. And if you're producing those, um, at least to get like a technology agnostic picture of your entire depth tree, um, and you're saving those off someplace, and then you're comparing them on subsequent builds, then you can you can know if there's um, if there's been like a, a third party code compromise of something and, and therefore like the um maybe somebody changed a library, but the version number wasn't changed or something like that. Like, you know, you could you could look and see, like, oh, you know, lib foobar 1.2.3 um now has a different digest than it did yesterday. And so that's evidence of potential tampering, um, you know, at least with your with your builds dependencies, right? So there's a there's a set of things that you can do. Um, you know, I don't think that you can get all the way to like um, Salsa level level four or whatever. Salsa is uh, supply chain levels for software artifacts. It's a standard that Google has been driving to sort of be able to describe levels of security around this. I don't think you can get to like the highest level of that without kind of owning your own build stuff. But um, certainly there are things that you can do to make yourself um, feel a little safer if you're working um, with SaaS systems and containers. With on-prem artifacts, it becomes a little bit more intense because you've got um, kind of a longer chain of custody, if you will. For what you're doing. But yeah, I think that those those things will, will help anybody.
0: Trevor, it was amazing having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for making the time to join us and to talk about your experience during the sunburst incident. Um it's been very powerful to to get educated on that. Um and plus what we can do to yeah have better supply chain security.
1: Yeah thanks so much for having me. It's been great.